Hello, is this thing on? Welcome back to another episode of Energy 101. We have a very special guest today, Mr. Jeremy Funk. Again, I feel like I say this half the time, but a very good friend of Digital Wildcatters and our resident Denver champion. He is in Colorado. Um, He was in town recording some podcasts for his podcast, which we can plug a little later. What the fuck? Yeah, what the fuck? Okay. What the fuck? (laughs) What the fuck? (laughs) Honestly, my favorite title. You guys it's came like up a, with it. We did. I was, you did. Yeah, I know. I think it was Julie. <laughs> it's probably yeah. me. I wanted, <laughs> my favorite title. I wanted to call it personalities. Focus on personalities within one gas, but what the funk is so much better. It's so much better. Mm-hmm. And it goes with my business too, Funk it Futures. Does. Yeah, mm-hmm. Funk Futures. You, you're always using some kind of like, what is it called when you use a name for all the nicknames? <laughs> yeah. What is it called? Is it? It's called something. It's called funking. Yeah, <laughs> sure. Yeah, we'll go with it. Okay. Um, today is a special episode. We are going to talk about something that's not as maybe nitty gritty topical as some of our other ones. Yeah. Uh, but we're going to talk about sales 101 in oil and gas and how it's different in other industries. So, Jeremy, do you want to talk to us about your path in oil and gas? Yeah. And, you know, this is when I was like, plug the podcast as he's talking about <laughs> what he does. <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, it really ties into my whole background. So I, some of you guys know this, maybe some of you may, maybe not as well, but my name is Jeremy Funk. I grew up in New Hampshire, um, really in the middle of nowhere and went to college just outside of Boston. I went to Brandeis University and my plan for my career, at least as far going back as like first or second grade was that I wanted to be a lawyer. Like I really wanted to talk. I wanted to litigate. Right. And I wanted to make an impact. But then as I went to school, like nonstop for the first 22 years of my life, I'm like, I don't want to go to school anymore. Like I need a break from school. I want to do something different, but I also want to make a lot of money. So how do you do that? Well, at the time, this was during the first tech boom where you saw a lot of startup companies like Napster, for example, and even things like Mm -hmm. Microsoft and Apple, like kind of come into their element and some of the guys that were in my fraternity at Brandeis who had similar personalities were outgoing and social that didn't go to law school or business school got into sales. They were either selling like pharmaceuticals and I'm like, yeah, I'm not that interested in that. Farm sales are huge. I feel like I had a lot of friends that did that too. Yeah. Medical device mm-hmm. sales, pharma mm-hmm. sales. Mm-hmm. And like in the medical device space, it was like, yeah, you're actually in there for the procedure. It's really cool. You're like advising the doctor. I'm like, I will faint. Yeah. <laughs> no chance. Not for me. Yeah. No. But then I saw some people getting into this like technology sales thing, like driving nice cars, having expense accounts, wearing nice clothes. And I'm like, I think my personality is like yours. I want to do that. So I was like 23 years old. I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I was like, I think sales. I think mm-hmm. this sales thing has some legs to it. So at the same time too, I wanted to be somewhere else, like spending the first 23 years of my life in basically like a hundred mile radius in Northern New England. I'm like, I just want something different. I want to mm-hmm. go somewhere else. Mm-hmm. So loaded up a car with two of my best friends and moved sight unseen to Boulder, Colorado. No job. I had like $1,500 to my name. Wow. 
that was like mostly my parents writing me a check for like a thousand. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, good luck, kid. Like after I paid okay. my like rent deposit, I had like $220, which was mm-hmm. almost enough to get a mattress, you know? Oh, so I'm like, I need to get a job. So I went on, um, I think it was monster.com and started just looking for like entry level tech sales jobs. Mm-hmm. The first job that I had was definitely not in oil and gas. This is well before any time that I'd spent in this industry, but I was selling storage area networks that ran over the internet. And at that point in time, like this is pretty relatable because if we need more data on our phone, you can like add an extra terabyte mm-hmm. of cloud storage for what, like two fifty, yeah. yeah, like three dollars. Yeah. And back then, I my first job selling storage area networks was like you'd sell a physical box that was for one terabyte of data, twenty thousand dollars. Right? Oh my gosh! <laughs> Plus a really high powered industrial fan to cool it down because the box got really hot oh when it was plugged into all those servers God. and all the data was coming. So these were like pretty big deals. And in my first job, I'm so glad that I had this at Left Hand Networks. They ultimately sold to Dell, but I made 85 cold calls a day. Oh, that's a lot. Yeah, for the first year and a half of my career. And that was like, talk about cutting your teeth, like a lot of rejection. Like even figuring out like how to track everything in Salesforce and how to consistently make calls and like keep people quiet around you because I was in a little cubicle. But my first base salary was $28,000 plus like a little bit of commission. And after a year and a half of doing that, I'm like, I can't do this forever. Like I have to do something different. So I sold my way into a a better sales job Mm -hmm. where I was then closing deals. I didn't really know what I was doing, but found a good company, Rally Software, They were um, a startup. I think I was employee number 11. They ultimately went public. Um, Pretty cool for me to to be at a company that raised money. Like I remember people drinking champagne and like eating grapes and cheese. Like (laughs) we just raised $8 million. I'm like, I have no idea what that means. (laughs) Great. But I think that's good. That means means you don't have to worry about payroll. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds like us, but not on the $8 million. Not yet. Not yet. That's coming. Um, but it was, it was cool. And that was actually a company, this is 2005, 2006, that it, the term SaaS and cloud, they were already using it. Mm-hmm. Right. So fast forward for like a year and a half later, I was hit up by a recruiter that said, there's a job that I want you to apply for. We want to put you in the room selling accounting software to oil and gas companies. And my first thought was, didn't oil and gas like die in the eighties or something? <laughs> like, is this still yeah. an industry? I'm from New Hampshire. Like there's no oil and gas up there. You like check your oil when you're getting like somebody filling up <laughs> yeah. your gas, <laughs> you get an oil change every 3000 miles and you fill up with gasoline. That's all I knew. So I'm like, really? Like, is this like a growth industry? And they're like, they're going to pay you a lot of money. Like just shut up and take a job. I'm like sold. <laughs> <Yeah>. So <laughs> this was like, Conveniently, end of 2007, early 2008, and right at the time when the shale revolution started, mm-hmm. there were there were mm-hmm. now like hydraulic fracturing and new we techniques to extract mm-hmm. oil and gas. Um, new shale plays, right? So you're hearing about the Marcellus shale, right? You're mm-hmm. seeing more things happening in the DJ Basin in my backyard out there. And it was really eye-opening because the tech was far behind other technologies that I'd sold. Mm-hmm. 
I actually fell asleep the first time that I saw a demo of the accounting software. I'm like, oh man, oh, no. this is so I think so I would too. And the user yeah. interface, I'm sure, was like Windows. No colors. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, it's funny that you said that because I feel like multiple times our guests on here or other podcasts are in the office, that seems to still be a very prevalent theme that the industry, when it comes to tech, is just still going to be behind. Well, or still is behind. Some other industries. In a, in a mm -hmm. different way, I yeah. feel, because it's very advanced when it comes to, like, exactly. downhole technology mm -hmm. or offshore technology, but, like, software. Well, yeah, yeah. Like what they're software. using. Back yeah. office. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. So that was actually one of the things that I saw as an immediate opportunity and part of why I fell in love with oil and gas tech was the tech being used in the field and especially, like, miles downhole mm -hmm. and then going directional is, like the same caliber of technology that you use to put people on the moon. Yeah. yeah. It's like really, really mm -hmm. incredible stuff to be yeah. able to do that. Mm -hmm. But then in the back office, you had like very old, archaic 1990s looking technology, no use of cloud. Companies didn't even want to talk about cloud because um, it was like, I'm not putting my production data, my financial right. data where I can't see it. I'm like, yeah, but you log into your online banking account. I feel, it's like, it's even, yeah. I feel like it's even like, they're probably like, think they're not tech savvy, so they won't want to learn something new. And I'm like, y'all are probably the most tech savvy right. in the world. It's more just like, I think, cultural and fear of change a little bit. And also consider like in at this period of time, because of like the pretty significant downturns in oil and gas in the 80s and into the 90s, that most of the people were really old. Mm -hmm. So those were the last people to get iPads and iPhones, smartphones. And, and even like log into online banking. Mm -hmm. So things had not shifted yet. But I was like, okay, there's a real opportunity here because this industry embraces new tech. They just don't embrace it in the back office. Right. Mm -hmm. So before you could even think about like AI and machine learning and some of these like major advancements, what companies needed to do was just like be able to leverage the internet, right? be able to convince people in their organization that we should digitize and get away mm -hmm. from paper. And that's still a process like that. I'm 15 years kind of into this journey now. Right. And as younger generations come into it, you're seeing more digitally led transformed oil and gas companies, which is awesome. But what that's done is created all of these new companies, all these startups that to the buyer kind of sound the same. Right which kind of led me eventually, and I'll get to that, to starting my own business because someone that they trust and that they can listen to that's not just pushing a product needs to come in and explain the differences in some mm -hmm. of these technologies and how they can benefit from them mm -hmm. and not to get fooled into the next shiny looking thing because somebody built a nice dashboard. Right. right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. I didn't even think about it from that. I think that kind of put it into perspective for me is because I think every industry you have all of these people coming in trying to sell you something that do sound exactly the same. I know when we were kind of vetting check-in software to use for our conferences and yeah. stuff, like I feel like I maybe talked to four or five and for the most part, they all did the exact same thing, yeah. mm -hmm. you know, little differences here and there. But I mean, I'm very happy with who we went with, but I can't imagine doing it on a bigger scale, like it, in oil and gas. Yeah. I mean, so the competition has become much more fierce, mm -hmm. for sure. It used to just be enough of a differ differentiator to have a product that could digitize your processes, your workflows, mm -hmm. your assets. 
Now it's more of like, which one of these do I choose? So being a trusted partner, as opposed to like a pushy salesperson is more important than ever. 100%. Mm -hmm. And and you see it too with a lot of the companies that you work with that come in here and that are on startups Mm -hmm. and that you guys talk to. These are technical founder led companies. They're passionate, but they don't know how to lead a sales process. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. So how do you go about doing that? And how do you not make the mistake of hiring a salesperson that is pushy and that puts the wrong face on your brand. Right. Like it's a real challenge. And you see some companies really thread the needle like combo curve. I know you guys have talked about them before. They've done a great job, right? They've got passionate founders. They pick their niche, they stuck to it. And now they continue to execute on it and build sales practices kind of in the mold mm-hmm. of the types of people that started the company. Right. Mm-hmm. So they're still like connected to it. They're not that big, but their challenge, I think, will be as they grow, maintaining that like entrepreneurial spirit and culture and not just being another big oil and gas tech company, which right. tends to happen. That like, is very mm-hmm. true, especially Combo Curve specifically grew. I talked to so them fast. last night. They're at like 150 people now. Like that was that's yeah. in, insane. Overnight. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, keeping that same drive almost and I think Armand and Jeremy do a great job at bleeding down but mm-hmm. it's like how far you you can't right. reach all those 150 people so you really have to and also like delegating yeah right which is so hard to do when you're an entrepreneur and you're passionate about your craft like how do you actually take the reins and hand them to somebody else. And I'm sure that's something you guys deal with with that's Colin like and Jake hitting, too. Well, that's hitting yeah. me right now. Yeah. <laughs> that's what I'm trying yeah. to figure out right now is where to delegate. And it's mm-hmm. very hard. Yeah. It's hard getting, because like you said, like processes, you have to get those together before you can. All right, here you go. Mm-hmm. I mean, totally. Like even when, when Tim and I first started tripping over the barrel, I think you were doing the editing like on the weekends, right? I never did the editing, but yeah, everything else. That was, yeah. So show art and teaching us how to use Zencaster, like off hours. And that was like pretty impactful stuff for us. And then when I'm like, okay, I'm doing this, what the funk thing. And you're like, okay, talk to Jules. Like, wait, oh, (laughs) that's that's different. (laughs) But yeah, you did it. And now like I hit you up at first. I'm like, no, I'm, this is Jules thing. Yes, it like, is. I'm going to talk to she's her. She's doing about great. It. She's awesome. She's, yes. Mm-hmm. Yep. You guys have such a great culture here, and I'm really proud of you guys for doing this podcast. Thanks. Like, I think it's the industry needs to see more women in these positions and mm-hmm. be able to show how passionate you are and just how much you guys have learned even because this sort of started almost as a joke like well we don't know anything about oil and gas Mm -hmm. oil and gas is the same thing (laughs) and now you're like you're probably getting like fairly technical through osmosis just learning about it's really fun talking to people and Mm -hmm. hearing what what they're passionate about. I think my favorite episode has been Diana and she is so Mm -hmm. passionate about just technology. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And energy and i think it's diana who? grower oh i've heard amazing things and i've seen her speak her? but i've never met her <gasps> you'll meet her yeah, yeah. sure yeah, yeah this i was thinking maybe you were talking about deanna zang because she'd be a good one oh to we have had her on we'll have we need to we head her in denver, in denver. Yes. Mm-hmm. i actually was gonna um try and steer the conversation this way when we you know plugged what's coming up because yes. i i know you being in denver us being in houston to you know pretty heavy oil and gas cities so wanted to get your opinion on kind of where denver's at 
and where you think as a city um, differences between Denver and Houston. And we are very excited to bring Energy Tech Night there in April. So what do we have to look forward to? I'm really excited that you guys are Good. doing that. I get to MC it. It's in my backyard. Yay. I get to promote it. And I think that the Denver community will really embrace it. Awesome. So a couple of differences between Denver and Houston. Politically, the climates are very different. Yeah. Right. This is far more conservative. Texas is a red state. Colorado has become like a very blue state. And that's changed in the last 20 years, too. But as far as like networking goes, Denver is a better networking city than Houston. Mm. Because Houston is almost like four cities. So spread out. Absolutely. So when you do an event, you're like, well, where do we do it? Do we have to do one in the Woodlands and one in Mm -hmm. Katy and one downtown and Mm -hmm. one in the Galleria? Whereas Denver, it's like you just do it downtown. Mm -hmm. Like in downtown or within a mile of like the direct Mm -hmm. like 16th Street Mall. And people will go. People in, that work in downtown Houston don't hang out unless yeah. it's Nape or something. They yeah. don't hang yeah. out in downtown Houston. They go home right. to their mm-hmm. house in the suburbs or on Memorial or Katy or wherever it's they like live. It's like an hour away. Yeah. Yeah. Every, like <laughs> Tim and I always used to say, like, we we gear our pa- podcast for a Houston commute, which is 45 minutes. Yeah. Right? No, exactly. I love that. It's so true. It's going to be 45 Everyone's minutes. Driving, so yeah. weird yeah. fact, I will not listen to a podcast unless it's 45 minutes. Really? Like if it's like 30, I'm like, that's too short. I'll get like, I don't want to have to find another one when I'm driving. Right. We were, it's so true. Yeah. Yeah. We were just that. doing a podcast right before this. And I actually think that we all really got comfortable at about 30 minutes. Yeah. So you tend to get the best content after that point anyway yeah yeah right mm-hmm. unless it's just like a dud of a guest yeah, <laughs> yeah. then you're like no. no so a little bit more about about denver so people will stay afterwards in denver and there's a real culture of hanging out downtown mm-hmm. and stopping by for a drink or staying late for a networking event and a lot of that did disappear during covid yeah so mm-hmm. you guys Putting this event on in Denver is good for the community. It's really good for the oil and gas industry. And I think it's also good for digital wildcatters because most sure. of the stuff that you guys have done, you did one thing in Midland, I think. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, it's here. Yeah. right? So to people in Denver, it's like, they're cool, but when are they going to come up here right. and do something? And now it's like, yes, it's there's happening. a big event mm-hmm. coming up April 5th, right? April 5th. Yeah. And we're hoping to, as the team grows and as our community grows in Denver and Midland, Oklahoma City, that we can have people like you who are kind of facilitating community events on behalf of DW and keeping that kind of momentum going with, hey, like, come hang out to Jawad Catters, grab a beer after work, you know, more because everyone knows the heart of our company is community. So building our community and and other cities and other states that have longed needed someone like us to come in and kind of shake things up, I think is going to be hopefully very – a win-win for everyone involved. Definitely. I'm I'm curious to see, because you guys were asking me, like, how many people do you think are going to come? And I'm like, I don't know. Yeah. Like, it could be way more than you think. I know. Right? I mean, I guess there's a chance that there's way less than you think. But the odds are, like, people will put this on their calendar mm-hmm. and they will make it a priority to go. People that are in the tech space, the investors that mm-hmm. work for operators themselves that haven't been able to come down for crawfish boils or right. Empower or... um fuse mm-hmm. right they're like ah, i'd like to do that but i have to work right I'm yeah. here in denver i have to get on a plane yeah right. right they don't have the ability to, to make to make all these trips or even for nape like mm-hmm. look i've got to manage production i've got to run it mm-hmm. like i can't go to houston this yeah. week and party with everybody at nape mm-hmm. so dw bringing this event to their backyard i think showcasing some of the denver-centric tech companies 
and energy is mm-hmm. going to be like a, a really, really sweet event. And I'm excited for it. Awesome. And I'm hoping too, in, in all three cities to be able to give away a ticket or two to fuse kind of a all expense paid trip, hotel flight, whatever. So that to that exact point, people who maybe wouldn't be able to make it otherwise yeah. can mm-hmm. come and yeah. experience what we're building down here. Cause, cause candidly, like I know the Denver people and there weren't a ton Yeah, at, at I mean, the people that came to inf- empower from Denver, are like Bitcoin miners. Yeah. We're already in the space. Right. The people that came to Fuse, you have some investors and some salespeople and like people that are very intimately involved in the space. You want to expand your community. Absolutely. Right? That's, that's what DW's growth is all about. Yeah. And I think that this event in particular will bring a lot of people who haven't been to any Digital Wildcatters events before, haven't been to any Energy Tech Nights, right? And, and really start to see like all the things that, other people have said and mm-hmm. that you guys have put out there about how it's different, about yeah. how it's transforming the way people network and building a community is, is going to be eye opening. I'm really excited yeah. about that. Mm-hmm. I got a, um, on this topic, I got a question. Yeah. What tips would you have for people specifically sales guys, yeah. girls, sorry, sales people, sales people, <laughs> sales humans, sales humans, <laughs> <laughs> um, going to these events. Mm. What one. should they do? Should they plan out their whole week? Like, how do they get the most out of it? The most out of it. Yeah. I mean, I think this, this is more of a fundamental question about um, how excellent salespeople operate, right? Um, I do think that salespeople should prioritize being at this event because a lot of their potential buyers will be there. Mm-hmm. And that's a big deal. Yeah. Um, I also think people should be focused on the content that could possibly come out of it debrief within their companies, talk about the learnings that they have mm. and be more almost like analysts of the event to understand how the climate of networking has changed and how digital mm-hmm. wildcatters is playing a role in that. But to bring it back to like sales in general, like the best salespeople to me are the ones who understand how to bounce back when they lose. Because you're going to lose. Right. Like you're going to consistently be kicked in the teeth. You might not have the best product. Maybe you didn't have the best contact. Maybe you just got beat by a better salesperson. Mm-hmm. Like those things are going to happen. But how resilient can you be? How can you bounce back? So say that you're a salesperson that's planning to go to the Energy Tech Night in Denver. And then you get really bad news about an account that yeah. week. Are you just going to fold, fold it in and say, well, I tried. I'm not going to go to this event. Or are you going to use that as a reason to go meet, ask more questions right. and learn more to improve yourself and empower yourself as a stronger salesperson? Right. Mm-hmm. And for me, like this is a story that I've told on my podcast before when I had Chris Dinkler on, the chief revenue officer at Inveris. I was flying down to NAEP in 2012 and I found out right when I landed, because this is like planes didn't have Wi-Fi Free as Wi-Fi, much yeah. in 2012. <laughs> But I checked my phone and I found out that I lost a deal, that I was like certain that I was going to win. I hate when that happens. Absolute worst. And this was NAPE. Like NAPE in 2012 was your event for the year. Now it's like another, it's an important event, but it's just another event. Like I have plenty of other conferences and and have digital access to people that I didn't have in Mm -hmm. 2012, but I didn't want to leave my hotel room. Like I was like, this sucks. Like what a terrible way to start the year. I have to give this news to my boss and he has to give it to his boss. And we were planning mm-hmm. to win this deal and we were going to hire somebody to deliver the project and, and lost. And I was like, you know, 
how do I bounce back from this? Mm -hmm. Because I can't be like moping around Nape and having this lost deal affect the right. rest of my year since I really needed Nape to build my pipeline for the year. Mm -hmm. So I sought out Chris because he was like the best sales guy that I knew. And I came up to him and I told him and I could see him kind of smiling and nodding. And I was like, I don't get it, man. Like I win, like I don't lose. Mm -hmm. And I'm like struggling. I'm like walking around like a zombie because I lost a deal that I should have won. And he's like, look, man, like you're going to lose deals. Yeah. It happens. If you won every single deal, you'd walk on water and none of us walk on water. Yeah. <laughs> so my advice to you is flush it, like put it in the back of your mind until Saturday or Monday or mm -hmm. whenever it is that you get home from NAEP. But how you respond to this adversity that you've been dealt is going to say a lot more about you as a salesperson than actually losing mm -hmm. that deal. And I was younger, like I was probably about 30 at the time, 31. And that was really good advice for me to hear. Yeah. And like, you don't want to repeat some of the things that were the reason that you lost in the first place. But truth be told, like there is always something that you can take from a loss, probably even more so than a win. Way more. Mm -hmm. Wait, you learn so much more from a loss than you do a win. Totally. Because you don't reflect on a win. Usually, because you're like, oh, I won, like on to the yeah. next. Mm -hmm. So it worked. Yeah, I'll just yeah. do it the same way. And then you do it the same way and you lose right. the next time. So you're like, ah, what did I do? Yeah. Right. So so constantly having those like deposits of understanding and, and also like from a sales standpoint, and this is something that I uh, like to advise like my sales resources and just younger sales folks in general, like it's very important to think about sales as a bank. Okay. So when you go to a bank, if you're constantly taking withdrawals, mm -hmm. there's not going to be money in that account. And then you can't take out any more money. So if I'm a salesperson and I'm always asking for something, can you buy this for me? Mm -hmm. Can you be a reference for me? Can you do this? For me, you're just asking for withdrawals. Yeah. You need to make deposits with these potential customers as well. Mm -hmm. And those deposits are not always directly sales related. Yeah. Right. So those deposits can be things like, hey, here's a podcast that I think might be of interest to you, right? Take a look. Hey, I'll be in Oklahoma City this week. Can we grab coffee and not talk about sales, mm -hmm. right? Not talk about the product that you're trying to get in front of them um, and, and just continue to make impactful deposits so that when it comes time get creating a referral to somebody, hey, I think that this guy is um, somebody that you should talk to. You guys are in the same community. And you two should meet. I think there's value in that, right? With no expectation mm -hmm, that mm -hmm. it's going to turn into a sale. Well, then you've put yourself in a position to ask for a deposit, to right. ask for something. And that's something that I've had to learn over time as well. And it's been a huge boon for my career. So it's like people ask me like, well, did you, did you sell this guy? I'm like, that's not how I operate. It's a long term. Right? Yeah. yeah. This is We're this playing is, the long game. <laughs> this is a long game. This is an industry that I've been in now for 15 years and was able to start my company, Funk Futures, where we do fractional sales, marketing, and recruiting, where it's very dependent on having senior level contacts that are open to introductions, mm -hmm. that are open to learning about new technologies. But if I was only bringing them new technologies that I wanted to sell them, it wouldn't work. Right. Right. So having them on my podcast, right. 
having them tell me about how some of the technologies that they've purchased have worked out, having them talk about their pains, mm -hmm. right? And pointing them maybe to a solution that I don't necessarily work mm -hmm. with or represent yeah, right. is important. So like constantly playing that role of um, subject matter expert advisor, while also understanding when to sell and create value that mm -hmm. way has been something that I take a lot of pride in and try to work on consistently. I think that's great, great advice. And I want to know, you didn't say providing value is bringing cookies. <laughs> no, but I'm serious. Yeah. Like yeah. so many people think that they're providing value because they're bringing someone breakfast. Like that's, yeah. I feel like there's all, like you can see through that. Yeah. So I love that you're talking about building relationships, making connections. Like that's really what it's all about. And I've seen this play out so many times in Colin's life where he'll just make a connection and, or he'll just go to coffee with someone Yeah. and it doesn't pan, like nothing pans out. He's just building a relationship. And then like years later, it's full circle and you can kind of see why that connection was made and something comes from it. But there's no motive there. It's just building relationships. It, it's good. I was going to say, I'm glad that you brought up the word connection because I feel like from our standpoint and what you're talking about, there is no community without connection. I think that's what we always strive to do here. And when we're putting on events, people, sponsors, partners always ask, oh, can we get the attendee list? And that's something that we will never do. Yeah. You know, we want you to come and make the connections. But if you have a certain clientele or a certain company or person that we're connected to that that sponsor wants to get in front of, we are happy to make those connections. We would love to make those connections for you. But we are never just going to here's an attendee list that you can blast out to people. That's not mm -hmm. our MO and that's not, that's not what we're about because it's about genuine connections, that's right. building community, not and email blast also, to get the sale. We would yeah. also be giving them bad marketing advice. Yeah. <laughs> so we're looking out for you. We yeah, are. Yeah, it would be devaluating the mm -hmm. authentic yeah. connections that yeah. are made yeah. at that event. And yeah, I think, you know, going back to Colin and Jake, like I've known these guys for years now. And they were pushing me to do a podcast. I'm like, about what? Like, <laughs> I don't understand. But I think they had a sense like, this is something you should do. This will help you build your own personal brand. And part of the reason that I wanted to do it on the Wildcatters platform and with them is because I felt like they had a level of authenticity that I wanted to yearn for and find for myself. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of times, and maybe it's the generation that I'm in, I'm a little bit older than all you guys, is... You felt like you had to act a certain way. You had to dress a certain way. Mm -hmm. You had to behave a certain way to work your way through your career. And then here come these wildcatters dudes, right? <laughs> Making like- Beat up on the deck. Yeah. Right. Wearing t-shirts yeah. and hats on backwards, right? And throwing mm -hmm. pizza parties and putting uh, vlogs, vlogs out there, right? <laughs> vlogs. Okay. vlogs. Right, you are we can old. cut that. Yeah. We're not cutting it. Right. You know, like like- Drones at an oil well and yeah. things like that. I'm like, that's cool, it is right? Because cool. they didn't want to conform to the social or professional means that this industry, which is a little bit further behind things like tech, mm -hmm. right? And and other markets yeah. demanded of people. And, and a lot of people would come up to me and like laugh at them. You know what I mean? Like, oh, look at those guys walking through Nape with the camera, dorks. You know what I mean? I'm like, those guys are cool. Who's the yeah. dorks now? Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, no, that's cool. Right? Yeah. 
Like yeah. they, they're creating value in a way that younger people want to consume information. Yeah. That mm-hmm. happens to us every time we go anywhere, you know, in a little small group networking things because we are those people and people yeah. come up to us and they're like, can we talk to you guys? Can we hang out over here? You guys look fun. And yeah. I'm like, we it's are fun. Probably because we're not wearing black. I feel like yeah. anytime we go to, mm-hmm. to networking things that aren't ours, suits, everyone Navy is in and black and stale yeah. and mm-hmm. we try to bring the life. But also it's important because we want, like our mission is to teach the world about energy. We can't yeah. do that by fitting in yeah. and fitting in a little box mm-hmm. that we have to talk a certain way and yeah. be a certain way. Um, so this kind of leads me to another question. Sure. Advice for people coming into oil and gas. You were a newbie once. Yeah. Do you have any advice or do you like, what would you say? Um, two ears, one mouth, mm-hmm. like ask questions and listen and learn. It took me a long time to get to the point where I considered myself a subject matter expert within the space. And even still, I have a lot to learn mm-hmm. because the landscape's constantly changing and evolving. So ask questions, right? Listen, learn, consume content and information, go to panels and watch people like Chuck Yates speak, right? Because there's wisdom mm-hmm. in, and there's so much advice that you can take from that and go up to them afterwards and ask them questions mm-hmm. because people in this space are somewhat vilified because oil and gas is demonized, generally speaking, right. in oil mm-hmm. and gas. And, and it's it's frustrating because the people that are in this industry are awesome. Like mm-hmm. 98% of the people that you'll <laughs> meet are willing to help you, yeah, right? To give you advice, to, mm-hmm. to tell their story, to hear where you're struggling and why you're not making the strides that you want to make mm-hmm. in your career. And I didn't get that in other industries. I felt like it was more cutthroat somewhat in the finance and fintech right. world yeah. uh, and in recruiting to an extent. But oil and gas is very, very familial and it's really supportive. So like, I don't need to go to NAPE. Like I choose to go to NAPE. Right. Right. right? Um, I choose to put out a podcast every week because I like creating those real connections with people that I want to have. And it's mm-hmm. been a huge blessing for me to be able to do that. Right. So just listen, right? Ask questions um, and and find what like matters to you. Like I never had a plan to get into oil and gas and then have found myself here and will probably be in oil and gas for my entire career. And things will morph and things will shift. But the idea is once you get into this space, if you think that it's for you, you stay. Because mm-hmm. most of us were in a different space before we got into this, like we didn't all grow up in Midland, <laughs> True. but still you worked in a different world too, yeah. right? Yeah. You were in media. Um, I was actually in cybersecurity. You were in cybersecurity. Cybersecurity. Mm-hmm. Sounds really mm-hmm. Yeah. And this, this is fun. Like, this is, yeah. The, the, the process of extracting oil and gas is like a modern day treasure hunt mm-hmm. and, cool. and seeing how, companies go about that and how they secure massive amounts of financing and then build teams and leverage technology to be able Mm -hmm. to hit like a small box five miles away when you go down and you go over is like kind of a magical thing. It's very Mm -hmm. cool. Um, Okay. We got to do rapid fire since we only have two minutes left. Okay. Biggest misconception in energy. That it's all dudes. Oh (laughs) yeah. Welcome. We're here. We're here. <laughs> We're here. We're here. 
Um, okay, the next one is Jules usually, usually does this. So mm-hmm. I'm like, what's the next one? Oh, why, why should, should we care? Why mm-hmm. should we care about energy? Why should the people care about energy? All of our listeners. Why should they care? All the gen- People should CEOs. care about energy because more and more people keep coming into the world every single day. Mm-hmm. We take for granted here energy, right? This yes. electricity. Mm-hmm. Yes. I went to Africa, South Africa in 2009. And I'll never forget being there and just seeing how energy poor they were mm-hmm. and how that bled into everything else, right? It's easy for us to take it for granted here because everything is digitized. Everything is so simple mm-hmm. and p- grid powered. And it's not like that in other places in the world. In China, right, there are still places where there's like donkeys like pulling coal carts to people's homes so that they can heat their homes and and have hot That's food. That's insane. Yeah, it, it seems it's not like yeah. that here, yeah. right? No. So just understanding that energy plays a massive role in the development of third world countries, and it's very important for us not to take that for granted. Yes, that's mm-hmm. a great answer. Thank the you. last one is your most embarrassing story in your career. Oh my God, there's so I many. feel like you did an episode on this. You're, it was like your second episode on tripping over the barrel. Oh my God, it actually wasn't that far from here. So this is <laughs> this would have been 2014. And I was at BHP Billiton, right? Mm-hmm. Before they were acquired by BP. And I was with Seven Lakes Technologies, like upstart tech company. I'm wearing a suit. I'm wearing a tie. I gave like a really passionate slide presentation to this group of senior executives. There's like 15 or 20 people in the room. And I actually was like standing up at one point, And this is why you need to go with this solution. And we're the right fit for you and blah, blah, blah. And And I was done. I'm like, and now I'll turn it over to Sachin for the demonstration. And I sat down and like my butt hit like right (laughs) on the front part of the seat and slipped. And the chair flew back. Oh, no. My feet were up (laughs) at the table. (laughs) Right. And I'm literally sitting there on the ground. Right. And people just kind of like. First, like with some concern coming over to make sure like everything's okay. (laughs) But then when they saw that I was all right, they couldn't help but just like cracking up. But like if you want to break the ice in an important business, fall on your chair, head over. That was like Diana's story. Yeah. She had a similar story. (laughs) It was so embarrassing, but like it it definitely made the rest of my day. Oh, and I'm sure they will... Never forget 100%. that day. No, right. they, they still brought it up. Like a couple of years later, we were going to an Astros game and there was like a networking thing before. And these guys had this shit eating grin, right? And they're sitting there and they're like, so remember? <laughs> remember? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, you think I'm ever going to forget right. that? I don't think anybody in that room will ever forget that. But that was an amazing day. I love so it. And funny. we did that eventually win the deal too. Good. So we could laugh about it even that. more afterwards. It, yeah. But like, Talk about embarrassing. Like maybe like look behind you when you're about to sit in a chair. <laughs> I love it. Well, well, before we sign off, Misty, tell mm-hmm. us what we've got coming up. Coming up. Well, tonight, well, I guess this will be airing after wine night, but um on February 9th is ETN yeah. Houston. Mm-hmm. First the Heights here. Theater. When this comes yeah. out, that's gonna be like tomorrow. All right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So tomorrow. 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 Come out. <laughs> Come on out. <laughs> I love it. Mm-hmm. Cool. If you want to find Jeremy, you can go listen to his podcast. What yes. the funk? It is on Digital Wildcatters. 
Um, and if they want to follow you, yeah, LinkedIn's probably the easiest place. You're very easy all the to time. find. Yeah. yeah, that cool last name. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Funk Futures. Funkfutures.com is the website. Um, I'm posting on LinkedIn pretty consistently. What the Funk on the Digital Logcatters platform is the podcast, and uh, always looking to connect and expand my network and, and meet great. the great people that make up this industry. So. Thank you, awesome. ladies, for having me on. This was really Thanks fun. Thanks for joining yeah, us. Thanks, thanks for coming on. on. We'll see you in Denver. Yeah, yes. April 5th. Bye.